This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. What an honor to be here this morning. I actually stood here uh, back in 1997 and went out as a church planter and uh, came back a year ago to come back on staff and serve. And what an honor to work with Pastor Frank and the team here in such a great church. Isn't it an amazing journey and a ride of reaching the Northwest with the gospel of Christ? And so uh, I wanna do a couple things this morning. First of all, we're gonna go back to our series called Questions. And uh, I, I have really, really enjoyed this series because we all have questions that we ask in life that uh, are provoked because we have a longing for truth. We wanna know what's solid, we wanna know what's sure, we wanna know what's lasting. And so our goal as an executive team is, we sat down and began to ponder this series was to say, what could we do in the summer that uh, we feel would be led of the Lord and would be smart and strategic in a season of advancement of vision, which is where our church is. We're, we're advancing the call of God on City Bible Church by seeking to preach the gospel uh, using all means necessary, apart from sinful means. But we might even push the envelope there from time to time, just because, my goodness, we wanna make sure that the gospel is preached, amen? And we wanna use whatever means necessary, whether it's technology or sending teams into streets, or we've got a, a, a thing going on right now over in Vancouver where every Saturday a group of people is uh, gathering in a park and bringing kids and their families in and and preaching the gospel to them and ministering to them. We wanna use whatever means necessary. I know there's a connect group here on Rocky Butte that's doing laundry for people and just expressing love and, a, and the heart of Christ because we want all people to know that Jesus has a plan for their life, amen? And if they would simply respond in faith and cry out to him like the five or six or seven did uh, at communion here at Rocky Butte this morning and the two in the early service and the, the ones over at Mill Plain this morning and I no doubt the ones at 217 and down at the Pearl, uh, people respond to the message of Christ. And so we've gotta be willing and passionate and full of zeal to go. And so we thought, let's build a series that actually does a couple of things. We'd wanna first of all answer some questions like is the Bible real and, or true and is God real and, and why does God allow so much evil? And last week I preached to you, although uh, there was a little struggle in the early service with visual and audio, but we got it worked out for the second service and, and so you got a little bit better product, but we answered the question, how can a just God allow injustice? We wanna answer those questions because we wanna bring truth to people that are asking. If you're here within the sound of my voice this morning, you might have questions about God. You might not be a follower of Christ, but you might be here as a seeker and maybe you've uh, pondered in times past, is God real? And maybe that question's been answered. That's been our hope is to answer that question, but not only to provide answers for seekers, but secondly, to give tools, a, an arsenal of weapons, if you will, to people who, would talk to other people outside the walls of the church. You would be equipped so you've got an answer for the faith to which God's put in your heart. And we wanna make sure we're touching both sides. We're preaching the gospel, but we're also equipping the believers. And I think the pastors have done an amazing job of doing this. In addition to that, you go to our website, there's a ton of resources online that our Bible college has uploaded that you can actually do further study and look more into these questions and seek to settle the answers in your own heart. And I'm just so excited for what God has been doing. Today, I wanna to actually take it to a little bit of a, a very practical level, but also a very spiritual level, and frankly, a fairly hard-hitting level. I wanna talk about money today. 
you saw the video, you saw the sermon bumper, and you know that there's something about money that we're going to seek to answer today. And the question that we're going to seek to answer is just simply, isn't the church just after my money? This is kind of a bold question to pose to a church family and frankly pose to a city. We printed 40,000 mailers and sent them all over Portland and Vancouver, Tigard, into downtown. And we posted all the nine questions we're seeking to answer in this series. And one of them we asked was, isn't the church just after my money? What a bold question to publish and to send out through the airwaves and say, we want to open up to a little scrutiny here. Is that what you think? The church is just after your money. Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's see what Jesus has to say and Jesus' perspective on money. And let's get down to the brass tacks of where we're really at with this thing. The Bible calls money mammon. This medium of exchange that all of us have to deal with, whether you've got an abundance or whether you're in lack. All of us deal with this issue called money. And then we walk into the church and maybe you've never been in church before or perhaps you've been in church for a long time and the moment comes when Pastor Dylan or another one of the leaders steps up and begins to make an appeal, seeking to read a scripture and build your faith and present the need and show us the blessing that comes from giving. I know because I've been around for enough time to know that somewhere in the room there's a skeptic are they just after my money? Not just a, a skeptic, because the word skeptic could actually have a negative connotation. There's well-meaning people that have come across people, leaders, ministers, people with legitimate websites and public ministries, and they've asked for money and then misused it. And it's caused a question to permeate our world. Is the church really just a money-hungry institution that's self-serving its leaders and everybody trying to grow rich off of my contributions? Is that really what church is about? Wow, what an amazing thing that we would stand up and say those kind of things and ask the question and say, we're okay with you asking the question. Because I believe that Jesus has an answer. And I believe not only does Jesus have an answer, I believe in the integrity after walking myself with City Bible Church, Bible Temple, really from the time I was a young boy. I know the integrity of its leaders and I know the intentionality and use of dollars with a passion to preach the gospel and see the kingdom extended. I can stand before you today as a pastor in a church and tell you, I don't believe City Bible Church is after your money. I believe City Bible Church is a church on mission. I want to say a couple of things before I read some scriptures and dive in a little further. The first thing I want to say is thank you, City Bible Church, for being an amazing giving church. This year, our budget, we not only have met budget, we're actually just a little bit above the giving budget this year. I think it's amazing, and I think the Lord deserves a big hand for that. Not only that, we give above our tithes to a, just a free will offering that we give every year that is dollars we use to go outside the church and reach more people. And it's dollars we use to extend the tent pegs of vision in the church. It's called Faith Harvest. This last year, we gave a record number 
And money's still coming in every week. We're already over $1.1 million in free will offering this last year. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand for that. I wanna say thank you. I wanna say thank you, church, for being an amazing, amazingly faithful church. And there's no way that you could actually sit here and give that kind of money and, and have that kind of sense in your heart that maybe we're just out after money, but maybe there's somebody that you talk to that you need to answer the question for. The first thing I wanna say is thank you. The second thing I wanna say is that if, you've, if you have had or you have ever been around or experienced a leader, a church, a ministry that has been after your money and you've been personally wounded or taken from with no regard to who you are and your eternal well-being and your spiritual well-being, your emotional well-being, if you feel like you've been robbed and taken from by a leader, I simply want to apologize on behalf of leaders to you today and just simply say, I pray Jesus would heal your heart and that you could once again trust that God is for you and not against you. Can I hear an amen about that today, church? The third thing that I want to say as we dive into this a little bit further is that I cannot speak for every church and every leader, but I can look at what Jesus has to say. And what we can do today is try to align ourselves with what Jesus has to say, and we can shed comparison, we can shed pain, we can shed that sense of resistance that comes many times because we've been hurt or wounded, or maybe we've heard a story from another ministry, or they failed, or they misused money, and we can come back and make this a personal issue between me and Jesus, and that's how I want to approach this today. So can we shepherd ourselves and can we align ourselves to the word this morning and seek to answer the question, isn't the church just after my money? There's a lot of questions about money that I think in our culture we're not supposed to ask. One of those questions would be, how much money do you make? If somebody approached you as a person and said, how much money do you make? In our culture, we'd say, uh, I don't think that's any of your business. It can be a little awkward. Money is a private subject. Another one is, Somebody looking at a purse that you have or a pair of shoes and saying, what did that cost? We would look at that and say, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I want to tell you. Unless, of course, we bought it at a garage sale and we're sporting a nice pair of shoes that we know, man, we scored on. We're like, man, I only paid 25 cents for these. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we like those kind of deals. I got a blue pair of shoes that I bought at Macy's on the clearance rack for $23. And the first Sunday I stood at the Mill Plain campus with those shoes on, a guy came up afterwards and said, hey, I was looking at that same pair of, is, is Prada a shoe? Sorry about that. For those that know what I'm talking about, he said, I was looking at a pair of shoes uh, like that in Nordstrom's for $600 the other day. And I said, trust me, these were not $600 shoes. He was asking a question about money. He's probably at Mill Plain right now. He was asking a question, kind of. And I was like, no, man, I only paid 23 bucks for these. And I like to celebrate those moments. You don't mind talking when it's just a few bucks. But if you paid 600 bucks, you'd say, eh, I paid $600. Or you'd just say, no, I don't think it's any of your business. Somebody approaches you and they say, are you poor? That'd be an odd question. Are you rich? How much is in your retirement account? <laughs> Questions about money exist all the time. You walk into church with a certain sense of privacy that exists in our culture, and somebody says, we want you to give 10%. 
We want you to give 10%, but not only that, let's spend a season of time talking about money and let's try to build our faith. This is a faith thing. And we start moving in by faith. We wonder, man, I, I don't know, it's a private thing. Why would we talk so publicly? But not only does culture put us in a spot where it tends to be private, money for you and money for me is a major source of worry. U.S. households' consumer debt profile looks like this. Average credit card debt in America is $15,191. Average mortgage debt, $154,000. Average student loan debt, $33,607. Statistics tell us that people, by the way, you're a people. Let's make this personal, you and me. In America, the tendency is to worry three and a half hours a day about money. While it's private, and while culture says don't talk about it, internally you're asking questions and you're talking about it. I'm internally asking questions and I'm talking about it. Charles Dickens says this, he says, if your annual income is 20 pounds, now a pound dollar exchange is about 1.6, 1.6 per pound. So if your annual income is 20 pounds and your annual expenditure is 19 pounds six, the result is happiness. This is Charles Dickens' quote. If your annual income is 20 pounds and your annual expenditure is 20 pounds odd and six, the result is misery. Meaning, if you spend more than you make, you're in misery. There's going to be worry. There's going to be concern. It's very real. So your emotional well-being is actually affected by money. The third thing is that money is actually a major issue in relationships. Many marriages actually break down over this issue of money because money is internal, money is practical, and money is very personal. If I can't make enough money to pay my bills, it's very personal. I, I can feel like a failure. My identity's in my money because it's a representation of what I made and what I produced with my time and my energy. And so when it begins to be attacked or talked about or there's tension involved, it can begin to create stress in a relationship. Not only that, it's one of those things in relationships that makes communication a little difficult because our identity's attached to it. There was a man, I heard this story the other day and I thought it was so funny. There was a man who had worked all of his life and he had saved all of his money and he was a real miser. He saved and saved and saved and saved. He loved money more than just about anything else. And just before he died, he was on his sickbed. He called his wife into his room and he said, honey, I need to talk to you. When I die, I want you to take a box. I want you to take all my money out of the bank and I want you to put it in the box. And at the funeral, before they close the casket, I want you to put all my money in the casket with me. I'm gonna take it with me into the afterlife. What a moment. So he got his wife to promise. He put pressure on her until she finally said, okay, this is your dying wish, I'll do what you asked. She said, I'll put all the money in the casket. Within a couple of days, the man died. He was laid in the casket. His wife was sitting with a black dress and a bonnet sitting on the front row with other friends and family. They were weeping. The, Funeral was taking place. They came all the way to the end and she had a little shoebox next to her. 
The undertaker stood up to go to the front and close the casket. She stood up and she said, just a moment before you close the casket. She walked up with a shoebox and she wept a little bit. She placed the shoebox in the casket and the undertaker closed it. She sat down and her friend leaned over and said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Did you just put all of his money, all of your inheritance, all the family resource, did you just put all that in that shoebox and put it in the casket? And she said, yes, I did. I'm a person of integrity. I promised and I put his money in the casket. The undertaker wheeled the casket out of the room. The friend came back and said, I have to ask one more time, did you really put all, yes, I did. She said, what I did is I assembled it all and I put it into my checking account and I wrote him a check. <laughs> I put it in the shoebox. <laughs> and when he gets to wherever he's going, he can cash it. <laughs> That's smart thinking right there. Money is a very interesting thing. It provokes a lot of interest and a lot of desires. And we wonder, like this man did, between the natural and the eternal, if there is a crossover, if there's a point of connection between our stuff and life hereafter, and how does this work, and why is God interested, and is the church after it, and when I die, what will happen, and can I take it with me, and how does this whole thing really work? Because our stuff is something that we think about. The church talks a lot about money because Jesus talked a lot about money. In the Bible, there's more than 500 verses about prayer. There's almost 500 verses about faith, but there's more than 2,000 verses about money. Four times as much as prayer and four times as much as the subject of faith. Money is talked about in the Bible. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables directly dealt with the stewardship of things. Jesus actually taught on finance more than any other single subject in all of his ministry. And here's the big idea that I've found is I've sought the scriptures and I've considered our emotional health and money and relationships and money and the stress that we face and the cultural tendency to be private. I've understood something about Jesus in money and that is that Jesus cares about your money and because he does, so does the church. Jesus cares about your money, and because Jesus cares about it and taught about it so much, the church does care, the church needs to care, and I believe we need to talk about it so that we understand Jesus' perspective on my stuff. There's two places in the scripture that I think are pretty profound as Jesus talks about money. I could talk about a variety of them, but the main one that I'm going to focus on is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34. It's the Sermon on the Mount. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there for just a few moments. I'm also going to put the scripture on the screen, but Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34, Jesus is going to preach a sermon to a very large group of people about the subject of money and the use of natural things. Then a little bit later in his ministry, 
an individual came to him and asked him questions about life hereafter, and Jesus talked about his money. So what we see is a a crowd message or a message to the multitudes, and then we see an individual counseling appointment wherein Jesus spoke to them about his perspective about stuff. Matthew chapter 6, this first sermon that Jesus is preaching, he deals with money, and this is what he says, Matthew 6, 19. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth. That's the first statement he makes as he begins to talk about money. The word store means to save. The word treasure means things of great value or a deposit of wealth. If you look at the way that people functioned in Palestine during this period of time, there weren't banks like you and I have banks today. They didn't put money on deposit in a retirement account. Many times they would take things of great value and put them in some kind of a container and move that container into a safe place. When you read the the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, when the father met his son at the end of the driveway, he sent a servant back and said, go find the best robe in the house. It was common for robes to be passed from generation to generation, and so they would be kept in a very meticulous place, a safe place. And it was part of the family treasure that was stored up for future generations. And the father sent a servant back, and he said, go pull out of the treasure, go pull out of the abundance, go pull out of that which has been laid up. We don't have it in a bank, we have it in a special room, in a special case, in a special place. The New Testament, there was a parable of found property. As a man was working in a field one day, he was digging, and as he was digging, he found a container buried in the ground, and it had wealth in it. It had resource because we didn't put money in banks. We actually would put it in containers many times and bury it out away from the house in order to keep it safe from thieves. So Jesus is using the picture of what was common in Palestine, and he said, don't store up treasure here on earth. Don't focus so much on the back rooms of the estate and in the ground and the cans that you would put your resource in. Because in doing so, you actually become a slave to those things. They are actually in charge. You actually spend your life worrying about whether the moth is eating it. In fact, he goes on and he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Moths are a symbol in Jesus' teaching of that which consumes. I have driven quite a bit this last week, and in my driving, I've consumed a lot of fuel. It's been used up just to get from one place to another. Rust also consumes. It actually dissolves, and rust would be that chemical reaction that happens where something used to be solid, but now it begins to break down just because of a reaction, and I've had times in my life where things have not been consumed just by use, but there's been some kind of a reaction, some kind of an experience where I had some resource that was stored up, but it just went away. Has anybody in the room ever been in that spot? How many have ever felt like, man, I've gotten ahead? I got $1,000 in my savings account, and that's my rainy day fund. That's in a moment of a crisis, and just in a day, it's gone. The moths eat it. They consume it or the rust destroys it and it just dissolves. Or maybe you're somebody who has a lot of resource that's been stored up and you feel safe and confident because of that which has been stored up. Jesus says, I want to talk to both of you. 
I want to talk to those with abundance and those with nothing. And I want to make sure you understand that neither one of those things can be in control of your life. Neither one of those things can be in charge, abundance or lack, because both of them are subject to the moth and to rust. And he goes on and he says, and also if it's not moss and rust, the, the, the thieves might break in and steal. So this is the remedy. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He actually says that there's some kind of a mystical dividing line between heaven and earth whereby the things that would attack and take from you are limited. They can no longer take from you. They can no longer rob from you. You can actually step across a line and take your natural resource and store up eternal blessing and wealth. An amazing portion of scripture. Well, man, how do I do this? Jesus, how do I live in that way? He goes on and he says, wherever your treasure is, there are the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. This is an amazing statement. No one can serve money that's in the storehouse and serve God by giving into eternity. Both want to be in charge. The decision is, who's in charge? You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or clothing, clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't, and I want you to see these three words. I'm gonna come back to them in the moment. Plant, harvest, or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries with it. Today's trouble is enough for today. Man, can you hear Jesus teaching? He's talking to a group of people who says success is a cedar chest full of the finest robes stored in a room in our estate. Success is a can of money buried in the backyard enough for a certain number of months. And he's talking to a group of people who are in a cultural crisis and in a war of their mind and their relationships and their emotion, feeling like if they don't have the storehouse full, they're nothing, feeling like when they have an abundance, they're everything, and money is in charge of all of them. 
And Jesus comes along and he says, you want to be a follower of Christ? Let me tell you how to do this. You got to begin, first of all, to think eternally, not just temporally. You see, it is possible, according to Jesus' teaching, to live temporally or to live eternally. If I'm living temporally, I'm just thinking day by day. I'm thinking about what I have in my storehouse only and how I can get more there. If I'm thinking other than temporally, I'm thinking not only about my storehouse, but I'm thinking about sowing seed into eternity. I'm thinking about both. It's possible to live eternally. It's possible to live temporally. There's a story that I read this last week, and I thought it was very interesting. It's by Stephen King, the novelist who writes horror novels, and I'm not going to read a horror novel to you, so just relax. And I, I actually don't read Stephen King's stuff. I just found this very interesting because he wrote about money and his perspective on money. And this is what he said. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what, in quotes, you can't take it with you actually means. He said, I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood. The tibia of my right leg was broken and it actually protruded from my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. He said, as I was laying there covered in blood and looking at my broken leg, I realized I had a MasterCard in my wallet but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. As he went on and wrote about his experience, this is what he said. He said, we come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Stephen King, going out broke not a crying dime to my name. He said, all the money that I earn, all the stocks that I buy, all the mutual funds I trade, it's smokescreen and mirrors. It's still gonna be a quarter past getting late whether you tell the time on a Timex or a Rolex. So I want you in closing to consider, this is what he says, I'm not closing. I want you to know that. <laughs> Just making sure you know. So I want you to consider making your life one that long outlasts your natural days. I want you to find a way to live past yourself. This is a worldly author. The thing about giving and trying to live beyond yourself is that every one of us wants to do that. We just many times don't know how. The thing is, if we don't know Christ and we don't understand the kingdom of God and we don't live righteously and we don't follow the model that Jesus lays out, there will eventually still come an end. But there's something about serving God, giving to the church, loving Jesus, believing God for increase, sowing into missions, using my money to extend the kingdom of God that lives not only far beyond you, it'll live beyond your children and your children's children and their children and their children. It'll live beyond me, it'll live beyond my wife, it'll live beyond us all. And Jesus said, I want us to come to a place for those that are gonna follow me where we make a choice to live beyond ourselves. The second thing that Jesus taught from this portion of scripture was that what we give our energy to, and our energy 
actually represents not only your time, because time is part of your value. It represents your finances, represents your gifting. Whatever you give yourself to, your value, your energy, your time, your increase, you will love. If you give yourself to missions work, you'll begin to love missions work. You see, we quote this verse a lot of times backwards. The Bible says here in this verse that not only can we not serve God and money, but that what we give ourselves to, our hearts will follow. We quote that many times backwards and say, I can tell where your heart is by looking at your checkbook. Yes, I can, but I can also tell you where your heart's going to be by where you start to sow your life. Husbands in the room this morning, if you're distant from your spouse and you don't even have any sense of affection for your wife, I would encourage you to begin to sow into her life. Bring her little gifts, bring her a flower, send her a nice note, drop her an email or send her a text in the middle of the day. Begin to sow into her life because as you give and as you sow your energy and you begin to pour out of yourself into something else, your heart will begin to align with it. You see, if I give myself to only amassing wealth for myself, I'll begin to serve it. And my heart will be for it. In fact, I think back to a number of years ago, I actually had some extra money and I put that money into a particular stock. I've never prayed for stock before until I put my money there. <laughs> it's amazing how my heart began to follow that stock. And as the stock went down, my heart went down. And I said, Lord, what are you going to do? And as the company began to turn around, I started to say, man, God, you're good. You're good. Thank you, Jesus, for the turnaround stock. You begin to invest in something, you'll begin to love it. If I put money in a stock, I'll watch it. Years ago in PBC, I, Portland Bible College, I began to give $50 to Run Ministries, which is now called Life Church in Uganda. And I began to give $50 a month. I only made 500. So I, I tithed 50 and I gave 50. I remember beginning to give and my heart attached to Uganda because of my giving. I just got back from Uganda a few months ago and when I landed in Uganda, one of the pastors, Joseph, came up and he put his arms around me and he said, thank you for giving to the work of the Lord. I said, Joseph, I just gave back in college just $50 a month. It was no big deal. And he took me to the church and I looked around at all of those dark-skinned folks with their hands lifted in the presence of God, and he said, everyone who gave $50 matters. Everyone who gave $50 matters because their money outlives the dollars that were given. It's a changed life. It's a changed soul. For the sake of eternity, generations are impacted because we gave, and we gave, and we gave. I love Uganda because I gave. You can love because you give. The third thing Jesus taught is that your choices will determine your destiny. He said, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't serve that alone. Because your destiny will end with your treasure. You'll get to the end and you'll want to take your treasure with you. I'd like to get to the end and know I've sent my treasure ahead. And then whatever treasures left will be used by those who receive it to store up for themselves treasures where moth and rust cannot consume and destroy. 
Jesus tells us your choices will determine your destiny. It's a lordship issue. I cannot serve God and money. So I've got to serve God with my money. The fourth thing that Jesus taught us in this verse is there's actually a flow, an intrinsic flow to natural things. Jesus said, I want you to look at the birds and I want you to learn something. There's something that they don't do, but you do. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Three things, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather. And I want you to say those three words with me. Uh, online, Mill Plain Campus, right here at Rocky Butte, let's say these three things together. Sow, reap, and gather. Let's say them together. Sow, reap, and gather. He said, if you look at the birds, they don't do those things. But the Heavenly Father is watching over them and loves them and makes sure they're cared for. How much more does he love you? Those who do sow, reap, and gather. He said there's a flow to natural things, and it involves three things, sowing, reaping, and gathering into barns. Birds don't, but people do. What is sowing? Sowing is simply planting for the future. When Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, he didn't say don't gather into barns. He just said, don't, don't just serve that alone. We need to so to the future, eternally and temporally. We need to invest for our future when you're not making money, but we also need to invest in changed lives. So a model that I'd encourage everybody to use is to take just simply 10% and give the first to the Lord. The Bible calls it a tithe. When you give that 10% to the Lord, the Bible says he rebukes the devourer. That would be moth and rust. How many could stand to have the God of the universe rebuking the devourer over your life. I think that would be the kind of God that I want to serve. He's in charge of it all. He owns it all. And if he can rebuke rust in the name of God, I want him to be rebuking rust in the name of God. I'll give the first 10, plant. No farmer is going to ever get a crop if he doesn't plant seed. So I want that kind of protection in my life. I want to invest. I want to seek the kingdom first. So I want to plant some seed. But I not only want to plant seed in tithe, I want to give. I want to give to the poor and I want to give to needs. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that there were people that had needs among them and people actually went out and started selling property. They brought the money. How many have ever received a gift from somebody else in the church, a financial gift, and it met a need in their life? Would you just wave at me? You've had the church work in your life. What an amazing thing. To have people that not only plant in their tithes, but they plant in giving generously to people that are around them. Amazing thing when people learn planting. But not just planting, he said, birds don't harvest, but you have to harvest, I have to harvest. I need increase in my life in order to pay my bills. I need a roof over my head and I need food on the table. And so God gives me the ability to work to not only take that first 10 and tithe and have some money to plant in giving, but I need some harvest to be able to pay to sustain my life. That's a part of money in our world. But then he makes this comment about storing up in barns. I think it's wise and I think it's part of God's economy to make sure that you're not only tithing and giving and paying your bills, but to make sure you're storing up for the future. 
to make sure you're thinking about retirement and investing and enlarging your life for the future. Now, this is a very practical message I understand this morning, but this is part of Jesus' heart for the church. Make sure you're thinking about storing up for the future. What Jesus was telling them was those that don't serve me only store up for themselves and they actually feel like their security's in the stuff. But people who follow me might do the same things that some of the people in the world do, but their faith is actually in the God who they give that first 10% to. God, you brought this into my life. You're gonna protect this as I continue to serve you with it. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll give. God, you're the source in the beginning. You're the source now. You'll provide for me uh, in the future. You provide for me today. You provided in my yesterdays. They begin to have an understanding that they're involved in something much, much larger than themselves. And so when God comes along and he says, I want you to take some of what's in your storehouse and give it, we gladly say, I'll take the bread and I'll send it out over the waters and I'll give out of what you've done in my life. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I had gone out in 1997 and planted a church and we worked for 10 years to get the church established and raised up. And by the 10 year mark, we owned a building. We had remodeled it a couple of times. We built the staff and a leadership team, and it was a very exciting day to have Pastor Frank come and dedicate our new facility. And I remember standing in that room looking around at the carpet and the chairs and the stuff and being so excited with all the things God had given us. We dedicated the building that night. There was such celebration and such enjoyment, and it was all kind of centered around God giving us a home. At the end of the night, I remember the lights beginning to be turned out and I was in the sanctuary by myself and I looked around the room and I said, thank you God for all of this stuff. And as I got in the car that night, I just felt an uneasiness inside. I didn't know what it was, but I felt like some change was coming. I felt like something was gonna shift and I didn't know what it all was. One week later, it began to rain. And as it began to rain, the waters began to rise and we ended up flooding, that facility flooded. A matter of weeks after we remodeled and put all of the blood, sweat and tears and raising money and all of our energy and all of our increase into stuff, the water began to rise and over four feet of water came into that building and wiped out every desk, every computer. We didn't have the ability to write a check. We lost all of our corporate paperwork. It was amazing what ended up happening that night as that flood took our facility. And I could not even get in my car and drive to the building because the roadways were filled with water. And there I was in my living room on my phone with a guy standing waist deep in water in my office saying, Pastor Daryl, this is bad. And I thought, what about your stuff now? What really matters? Am I, am I going to be governed and ruled by stuff? Because if I am, the stuff is gone. And now I've got a decision to make. Am I gonna live temporal or eternal? And I believe there's some people in the room this morning that at some point in life have lost. You've lost to, to the world system. You've lost to the economy. You've lost in life. Maybe you've lost a home and there's been just nothing and you've had to answer this question. Some people end up pointing the question at God and they say, God, where were you in the midst of all this loss? 
I'll tell you where he was. He's still seated in heaven on the throne in charge of everything. And not only did he provide for you yesterday, he will provide for you today and he will provide for you again in your tomorrows. We serve an amazing God. He understands the flow of things in your life. Sometimes things come and sometimes things go. There's times of loss and there's times of gain. But in it all, believers have got to make a choice to align their decisions, their perspective, and their destiny, not on what they see, but on the God who's in charge of everything that they see and do not see. They've got to learn the rhythm of natural things. And you know what we did? We picked back up again. And we said, we're going to sow and we're going to reap and we are going to gather into barns. And whatever was lost is lost. But in God's economy, everything that we did to preach the gospel before this day is still on the record books in heaven. And it outlasts every chair. It outlasts every square inch of carpet. It outlasts every desk. It outlasts every computer and every file and every natural thing we ever did. The only thing that really lasts in the end is what we sent ahead. By preaching the gospel and sending church planners and extending ourselves to the poor and the needy and ministering to people right where we live. You see, Jesus wants us to make a choice. and He didn't just preach general sermons. He talked to individual people. He talked to individual people. One day a man came to him. As the man came to him, he said, Master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me master? You see, one time he preached to the multitudes, the next time he talks to the individual. This man got down on his knee in front of him, never met him before in his life, and said, oh, good master, teacher, what do I need to do? Everybody say, do. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If you've been a follower of Christ any length of time, you know you don't do anything to inherit eternal life. It was all done for you. See, Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't, you don't earn your way into the kingdom of God. You simply respond to his goodness in your life. You confess him as Lord. You speak with faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he is the only substitute and he is the only way to the Father. You declare that in his presence and the Bible says you'll be saved. He said, what? why are you calling me good? You've never met me before. There's only one person who's good, and that's the Father. Jesus discerned immediately that this man had a manipulative heart, and he was trying to control the circumstance. He said, you don't, you don't, you don't just call me good, but we don't have time to talk about that. What do you want? He said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, you need to do the commands. And he quoted a number of commands, don't murder, don't steal. He said, well, I, I haven't done any of those things. I'm, I'm a good man. But I find it unique that Jesus left off the very first commandment. He quoted others, but he left off the first. You know what the first commandment is in Exodus 20? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus left off the first command and he baited him into the conversation by saying, just don't murder and don't steal. He said, well, I haven't done any of those. I must be good. 
And Jesus said, let me see if you're willing to actually do the first command. Take everything that you have. Take your stuff and sink it underwater. Sell it. Take all your stuff and sell it. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have eternal life. He wasn't teaching a doctrine of practice, meaning if you give a bunch to the poor, you'll have eternal life. He was saying, if you'll stop serving your stuff, if you'll stop serving your stuff, then you can obey the first commandment, which is to have no other gods before me. And when you obey that command, you'll have eternal life. He brought him to a moment of decision. And I believe God brings all of us in our life at some point to a moment of decision. He challenges our motive. He speaks to our heart. And he simply asks the question, who's in charge? Do you believe that you can store up enough to finally have security? And that someday you can put all the money in your casket and you can take it with you? Do you believe if you give enough to the poor that you'll earn good favor with God and earn eternal life? Jesus says in every one of those instances, the answer is no. What we've got to do is surrender it all to him. Realize that he's actually in charge of it all. Begin to lift our perspective and think with heaven in view. And realize that there is a life to be lived, not only now, but in the hereafter. And everything that you do with everything that he's given you can have a lasting impact far belong and far outside of yourself. I believe there's just a couple heart adjustments we need to make. And that is, first of all, we have to deal with a selfish heart. I know that I'm probably the only person in the room that needs to hear that, but sometimes I have to deal with selfishness and my wife really does. So, so pray for us. <laughs> I say that totally tongue in cheek. We all deal with selfishness at time and God wants us to deal with that tendency to somehow serve ourselves. Isn't the church just after my money? No, we simply want to serve God together. And so we give opportunity to pool our resource and do something larger than ourselves. And we do with it without apology because we know that when we surrender ourselves to God, we begin to sow. And when we, we begin to sow, our heart aligns and things begin to change for eternity. So we got to deal with selfishness. The second thing we have to do, deal with is a grudging heart. Paul said, I don't want you to give grudgingly. God said that to Israel in Deuteronomy 15. Don't, don't give grudgingly. What is grudging? It simply means a feeling of remorse after you give. I don't, sometimes I give and I wonder, man, I could have used that for something else. I think a true heart and spirit of surrender is God, take whatever I have. It all belongs to you. Lose it in a flood, lose it in a down economy. God, it all belongs to you. God, you bless me this time, you'll bless me next time. It all belongs to you. We deal with that grudging heart. Third thing we have to deal with is develop a generous heart. How do you store up for yourselves treasures where moth and rust? I become a tither and I become a giver. And as I do, I become generous and I give and I look for opportunities to give 
The Bible says God blesses givers. He'll pour in more. He's just that kind of a God. And lastly, I want to develop a grateful heart. God, you've been so good to me in the past. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're here this morning and you know with a heart of gratitude that God has been good to you, Come on, on every campus, I want you to stand to your feet. You know that God has been good to you. And with gratitude, you could right now begin to express to the Lord, God, you have been good to me. Come on, just lift your voice and lift your hands and lift your hearts and begin to thank the Lord for his goodness and for his favor. Come on, he's provided for you. You've got clothes on your body. Come on, he's provided for you. He's been a good God for you. He's been a good God for you. He's watching over you. And he's watching over his word to perform it. Come on, he's an amazing God. He's an amazing God. So in the church, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are you really just after my money? The answer simply is no, not at all. Jesus doesn't need our money. He owns it all. He owns it all. If he wants to get money to the church, he'll do that on his own. But what he's chosen to do is actually call out from among them a group of people who will willingly surrender and they give without a grudging heart and they give generously. And in that spirit of faith, he'll start to pour in and in the system of how money works will begin to work in your life and you'll come up to a whole new level because we serve that kind of a God. Come on, this is a good day. Isn't the church just after my money? No. The church isn't, Jesus isn't, I'm not. But he is after your heart. He's after your whole heart. So we gotta be like the rich young ruler. I'll come and I'll give it all. I'll give it all. Let's just extend our hands to the Lord Jesus this morning on every campus. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your favor. Thank you, God, that you're working deeply in our life. God, you see our lack and you see our abundance. You see our loss and you see our gain. And right now, I pray that you would watch over the fruit and the labor of our hands. And I pray that you would rebuke the devourer over your people in Jesus' name. I pray that every hole that's in the bottom of a bag would be sewn up and that coins would begin to stay. And Lord, there would be treasure, Lord, that would be enlarged in our life. I pray for inheritances for our children and our children's children. I pray for an abundance and a spirit of faith to come upon this church. And I pray that there would be a time of giving that would come to those people who maybe been stuck. Lord, let a spirit of generosity come upon us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and your favor in the name of the Lord. Come on, one more time, a big hand for the Lord this morning. Amen. Come on.